There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What's going is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I'm the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you surely man. A three-way battle to avoid relegation on the final day of the season and it had all the elements we've come to expect from such occasions right down to the actual transistor radio that one old-school Leicester supporter had glued to his ear yeah, at the King Power well. Stadium. Unbelievable. Relaying all the bad news coming his way from Goodison Park. No fancy iPhones for this gentleman. He backed himself to get the most accurate information in the most time-honoured English football Communication fashion. hipster. Welcome to Monday's is. Second Captain's Football Podcast. Hey, Ken. Owen, how are you? Hey, Murph, how are you? Hey, Owen, how's it going? Transistor radios. Well, I'm, obviously, you saw it. I mean, they, they, it was picked out by the mm. TV cameras and then repeatedly shown because they knew, the people in charge of the TV footage knew what we were seeing there. What yeah. we were seeing was a piece of history repeated in front of ourselves. So there's the Transistor radios, match of the day, showing all three games together, weaving in and out. The crying fans, the jubilant fans, angry fans in the case of Leeds. It was all there for us. There was a markedly different fan reaction, actually, in Elland Road compared to at Leicester, mm. where the Leicester fans, I sort of felt like we're applauding the players for winning the Premier League. <laughs> <laughs> I know this is a long time ago, but we haven't forgotten that you did actually win the Premier League. And and well, a, couple of the, a couple of you did. Yeah. Most of you did not win the Premier League. Yeah. Most of these guys were many, not around. Many have moved on. Jamie Vardy they, was They were there. thanking Jamie Vardy, basically. Daniel Amarante was there. That's what that was about. Mark Albrighton is At out Leeds, it was fury, though. It was fury. We'll get into this in your report and sport in a sec. Just to mention that Raphael Honigstein is on the show today after a dramatic final day in Germany, to say the least, where Bayern snatched the title from Dortmund's grasp in the final moments of the season. Dortmund only managing to draw their final game. Bayern stealing in with a late winner. And it's next up Wembley in this never-ending football season. Our World Service members will be treated to another football pod later on in the week. You have to sign up on secondcaptains.com for just €5 Euro a month plus VAT if you want to become a member. Well, Owen, um, were you happy with the way that it worked out? Are you, are you glad that Everton are still there? 
uh, that Leicester have been uh, expunged. I do watch a lot of sport through the prism of my work again, I have mm. to say. And in this particular case, I was projecting ahead to next season on Premier Sports. Oh, yeah. A season without Leeds and without Everton would have been a bit mm. a bit of a tough sell in a lot of ways. They're big clubs. You know when you're doing games involving both of those clubs that people care about them. Well, you'd have Luton this time. Have you seen have Do you, you respect seen this? Luton? Luton I, are coming up. That was, that was going to happen regardless. What I'm saying is, at halftime, it looked as though Leeds and Everton were both going down. And I was thinking, that's this, this, there could be some... No disrespect to your Luton's, your Burnley's. Have you seen that Luton have a very quirky stadium, though? Oh, yeah. I have seen the entrance to Luton Town AFC there, in yeah, their stadium. Few, I think it was, it was was it their own club Twitter account that tweeted it, but it was literally like a row of ha- it. Actually, what it really reminded me was of Richmond Park in Inchicore. It looks exactly mm. like the entrance to Your Richmond Park. Ground. Well, listen, the entrance you walk through ground. once, maybe. Brano, that's, I like that. That's literally Brano really laughing that. in that's the background. Brano's best ever reaction. Give, I, didn't, I didn't think it was much of a comment by me, but don't, Brano loved don't it. give him a laugh for that. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I thought that. Um, I you know if I'm on, if I'm honest, I would have liked to see Leeds uh, survive, but that was clearly never going to happen. Why did you want Leeds? Big think? Sam. I just have. A, was it Big Sam? Is that the reason why? No, you actually, not not really, because I mean, he obviously Leeds. Where the leads, I, it's hard to say which was the least deserving side of survival. They all they should have been four relegated. They should have been. Yeah. This year. They should have made an extra space. <laughs> Every these, couple of years, you should be allowed clubs. to just produce a card and just say, "Listen, you're all shit. At, no, you're at, all yeah, going there. Should, at half time on the final day." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, 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 there's like an independent board of adjudicators. Say, so have any of you done enough? To survive, you've, and well, if you've, not, I even you've done felt so much to be relegated. Jim. I even felt the Leicester, uh, the Le- the Everton supporters, the pitch invasion was a bit half-hearted in comparison to yeah. last year. Well, the pitch invasion got booed by the vast majority of the stadium. The whole thing was well, just that's a bit, happened a couple oh, of times now. You know, I felt they were a bit grimmed out themselves by having to do it this way again. Yeah, does it wear off the the joy of of getting away with it? I'm not sure it does actually. <laughs> I mean, throughout the game, the it was you know. They were doing, ex- they were behaving exactly as extremely frantic football fans uh, as as you would expect them to be behaving. Yeah. But it was literally just at the final whistle where we all, de- where where all of the Everton fans simultaneously decided, "Thank Christ, we're uh, we're still alive here." But that was shit. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the difference also you have to remember last season when they stayed up against Crystal Palace, they were two 0 down in that game yeah. with with mm-hmm. about half an hour left to go, and so they were, it was over. And then they won 3-2. So that was kind of a... They that, also that, had Frank Lampard in, in amongst them. If Sean Dyche had jumped up and practically danced on the roof like Lampard was doing last year. In my memory, he was physically dancing on the roof. That's the way I've changed. I mean, he was... Uh, he did mount the stand. I mean, it wasn't like the like the roof of the stand, but he did mount like a Leading platform halfway up Whereas did you see Dyche's reaction when the goal went in? Yeah. Just yeah, yeah. take a sip of water, stand there, look very Deich-like mm. and hope that rubs off in the players. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so I, I think they, they, and all they need to do is beat Bournemouth, which they managed to do. You know, Bournemouth actually were kind of outplayed them, certainly in the first half. And then it's just that once they're losing, they're probably going to just accept that. Mm. You know, there was a shot that Pickford saved late. There was, ten, there was 10 minutes of injury time because Pickford had gone down to, um, he did end up getting booked. <laughs> Yeah, Pickford did end up getting that booking, but it was worth it. Uh, 
And in, in the other game, okay, Leicester, uh, Leicester playing West Ham, and you know, I mean, people have been saying this is the best team ever to get relegated, or you know, among the best teams. It's one of those, and it is a bit surprising that they that they did. Ultimately, they do have a lot of good players. They should this should not have happened, but it's difficult to have any sympathy for Leicester because of the complacency that has been there. That they've they kind of obviously. Just thought this obviously that's not going to happen. Yeah, the players themselves maybe felt they were <laughs> they were too good to go down. Well, absolutely. Uh, the players, the, um, the staff, the I guess the owner who you know I'm not sure I watched through Vanana Prava necessarily had the same has the same interest in the club as his father did. Uh, obviously, his father very tragically died in a helicopter crash mm. uh, nearly five years ago. Um, you know, and he was clearly for him it was a big thing to be the owner of Leicester and for his son. I'm not sure that he's necessarily got the same um, interest in what he's doing there. And there was a real drift there for a while. And you know, this is actually the thing that Brendan Rogers complained about. Like Rogers last year was complaining about oh, these players; they've lost their hunger. Oh, some of them, you know, that's why they're not top players. They can't sustain it. You know, this is what he said about his own players. I mean, it was literally like what Roy Keane said about Ireland players. Uh, that's why they're at the clubs they're at. Mm. You know? But Keane was, at that time, what, the Ipswich manager, right? <laughs> he did have a couple of Irish players, actually, at Ipswich. But it wasn't as though he was the manager of the Irish team, which included the players he was slamming. Whereas Brendan Rodgers was that man. He was in charge of the players who he was saying were, you know, couldn't do it anymore. And... That was that was when they got knocked out of the cup last season by Nottingham Forest, uh, who obviously have stayed in the Premier League and are a better team than Leicester now. It turns out they beat them four one that day when it was a big shock, uh, when they were still in the Championship. And Rogers said, "Everyone here, you know, he, he kind of he blasted all the players and said they, you know, they they weren't and a lot of these guys aren't going to be here next season. Next season, they're all there. Everyone's still there, right? It turns out Rogers is just a bullshitter." You know, he, he's he's a guy who says one thing and then then that thing doesn't happen and he sort of moves on as though, you know, let's just forget I said that. Well, people don't forget that. You know, when you're saying that this, these people aren't... Well, you're, you're blaming certainly the players. I, when, I, I, I assume in this case, in that case, so Rogers expected that there would be changes. In fact, he's made it pretty clear during the last close season that he expected more backing from the board. This was the common theme during the summer. Well, there was a change that he he certainly had it within his own power to make, own, but it might have been a bit more expensive, uh, the change that he then he was prepared to take on. That is, if he felt that they couldn't do, that they hadn't uh, given him the conditions that he needed to do the job. He walked away. Then he could have done that. You know, he could have he could have done that, but I guess he was getting paid a really high salary. Remember, he was on like eight million a year because Arsenal had tried to. Uh, there, there had been talk mm. at one point that he might be the uh, was it Emery, when Emery got the sack. I think it might have been, uh, but there was talk about you know an Arsenal interested in Brendan Rodgers. Celeste gave him a new, big new contract, and you know he he said all this stuff. Uh, it caused, I think, um, a lot of a breakdown in the relations with a lot of these players because they're like, sorry, who are you exactly to talk about us like that, you know? Like, I mean, what what is it about you that's so great that you can stand there after we've lost 4-1 and blame us and say it was all, what, you know, it's, it's a sort of a natural thing for people who are being criticized to point the finger back and say, well, what are you and all? But 
uh, he as a manager should have then followed up what he was saying by getting rid of some of these guys he said were no good. He didn't do that. Nor did he get rid of himself. Nor did he say, say, look, you know, the, the fact is, I've this is what I want to happen. It hasn't happened. Instead, there was lots of stories about, oh, Brendan Rodgers is none too plussed about the fact that, you know, the board haven't done anything, you know. <laughs> but nonetheless, no, he's none yeah. too plussed about it. Top class. But he will, but he will <laughs> however, continue uh, cashing his check at the end of every month. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that that was drifting. You, can't, you can't bomb the players out until you know that players are coming in. And yeah. he wasn't given yeah, it was, it was a, in that sense. It was a dumb, it was a really dumb move. I think uh, he kind of lost credibility, that, but he nevertheless uh, loyally stayed in the job until <laughs> such point as they got rid of him when it was already too late because they were already getting uh, like uh, sinking into relegation. And, you know, maybe they could have, uh, if they acted earlier, they might have been able to turn it around. Uh, you know, I don't think Dean Smith wasn't really a inspired choice like let's get Dean Smith and John Terry in you know I mean it's a bit like Robbie Keane at least you know let's get in a UEFA legend is John Terry a UEFA legend or just someone who appears with Robbie Keane on Instagram uh, I don't think are they John in Terry's each other's Instagrams uh, sorry no the only one I don't follow Robbie Keane on Instagram but I I just put Keane Keno and Luis Figo and um, Figo Shevchenko Shevchenko and someone else um, is that Cannavaro is it no maybe he's in that he's in that zone yeah 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 um, but look at you know these these legends these lines but then it's not I mean I'm blaming Rogers or putting most of the blame on Rogers but also you've got to look at like James Madison as well like Madison who will walk away from this presumably to uh, uh, you know Newcastle is the club that's talked about a lot but someone will buy Madison I mean he's, he's had an okay um, season I guess like in terms of his goals and assists and you know yeah. if you if you disregard the missed penalties I mean he missed the penalty against Everton which is which has relegated them I suppose you so know 10 goals and 9 assists in a Premier League team that was relegated I don't know if you can be pinning this one on poor old James Madison um, yeah well he scored one goal since uh, February I think Owen and he had the might chance got, from the got tired spot. of carrying the team on his back for the first two thirds of the season maybe he made the World Cup squad and just decided to take a little holiday for himself well he, he also had that exchange with the um, athletic journalist which was really really dumb you know I felt when I saw the tweet that he really it's a pity that he didn't read Prince Harry's autobiography Spare because Prince Harry As you did of course I, well I didn't read the whole thing but I did read about two thirds of it and it was a good read uh, but not good enough to finish. You know, I got distracted. But um, I love to read good books. Once I get through, of the way through, yeah. Once I get through two thirds of a book, I'm generally finished. Yeah. At that point, um, just out of, I can't. I got. I got the picture of, though. Of yeah, if you know what I mean, I got. I got the picture. I was like, oh, all right, okay. I, I see what's going on. Fair enough. And I felt. It, I felt like the rest of it would be probably quite similar to what I'd already read. But because uh, there, there are a few episodes in it where Prince Harry, he's always having terrible stuff written about him in the papers. Mm. Um, he gets on the blower to his da, who is now King Charles, but at the time was only still Prince Charles. And he says, uh, Father, uh, this is terrible what's happening. Um, they've, have you seen what they've written about me? Or about Meghan, his now wife. And uh, Prince Charles's answer is always the same. He says, uh, darling boy, don't read it. And uh, he says, sadly, this is just the way things are. Mm. And Prince Harry doesn't like that. He says, no, you know, this is not good enough. I, I, I can't just say 
that's just the way it is. Don't read it. Ignore it. I can't ignore it. This is nonsense. But besides, you're always trying to actually manipulate the media. You know, you claim to be unaffected by it, but in fact, it completely reels your heart. This is, I mean, if you read the book, you'll get much more of that. Yeah, okay. But I think the basic point as a, as a policy for somebody who's in that position who's going to, you know, be talked about much to their annoyance by other people by virtue of their position, maybe you just have to kind of let it go. You know, it's kind of one of those things you can't really... James that's Madison... A, well, that's a different, that's a different uh, type of advice, though. You're not saying don't read it. You are saying let it go. Uh, don't... Well, I mean, don't read it and let it go are, are similar types of... I mean, it's basically... Well, let it go. I mean, if you don't read it, you don't have to let it go because you haven't seen it. Uh, You know, somehow it seems as though people pick these things up by osmosis, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems hard to... Also, let's face it, don't read it is completely impossible. (laughs) Whereas let it go is hard, but not impossible. But definitely don't react. Don't react in a a public way. Okay, if you can get your little, you know, you've got some people in the background who can get on the phone some people do a bit of horse trading you know tell a, tell a couple of little off the record stories in exchange for other stories yeah yeah th- this is all it's all part of the game but definitely don't come out and with a public reaction because that's just going to make it worse Why, then what they're going to know I don't know anything about this Madison issue that he had with the athletic, the, reporter. athletic reporter um uh, well, it was Rob Tanner who um, is covering Leicester for the Athletic, and his tweet was in back in March. So they lost to Southampton one nil. Bad game to lose, you know. If you're trying not to get relegated, they're the bottom team. You've just lost to, to Southampton. Pretty bad. Um, and Rob Tanner's piece was headlined: "This Leicester side buckle under the slightest pressure, and it could spell doom." And it went into like what a. Um, bad performance it had been. Mm. It was one of those detailed athletic type pieces. Yeah, guessing, you know, I mean, and they've lost, they've lost the same this, is bad, this is bad. You know, and I suppose the photo on it was Madison, who yeah. I guess is the star player of the team. I, I'm not sure Madison was particularly at fault for the game, for, the, for this particular defeat. But Madison replies to him or quote tweets him and he says, rubbish. Uh, watch and analyze the game properly and stop writing headlines like that. Not sure Rob Turner did write the headline. Stop writing headlines like that, which you know makes fans pile on with negativity. Play like that and we'll be absolutely fine. Created numerous brilliant chances, win comfortably on another day. So it's just like, what are Ah, you... come on. It's a polite enough rebuttal of an article. How is you it po- just lost to one of the worst teams in Premier How is it polite when he says it's, it's, it's rubbish, uh, suggests that he's writing the headlines to try and make people pile on, try and make fans pile on? Which is like, I mean, it's an, it's an attack on both his, it's an attack on his ability to understand the game, his ability to do his job, and also on his integrity, because it's suggesting that it, this is like a malicious I think Lester, attack, as opposed to a completely reasonable... I think, I reasonable, think if Leicester had gone on and survived or had a good season, you, you could as easily be sitting here going, oh, it's great that he engaged with the criticism like that and that he fought his corner and me so granny on. had balls, you be me granddad on. Yeah, I mean... Um, I, f- I just think James Madison is a hilarious fall guy for this, but by a mile... Well, Harvey Barnes was okay as well, but it, it, but by a mile, Leicester's best player and most productive player. And he's the one who's getting getting hung out to dry on this podcast. Well... I'm not sure why I feel so passionately about James Madison. I never realised <laughs> I, I did. I'm just going to miss his post-match interviews. See you again on post-match interviews. I was concerned about you. Won't miss his post-match in, yeah. You won't miss his post-match interview. He'll be doing those interviews. Yeah. He'll, be, he'll be giving like those open, honest interviews. Yeah, yeah. It'll that, you, be, uh, that you lap up. With Newcastle. Yeah.
Yeah, exactly. It's called managing. It's called managing the game. Uh, uh, high performance. Yeah, it's called managing the game, Jeff. You know, high performance. He will, uh, he'll, do, he'll do. He will do a hundred minutes plus. Do you not get? Do you not get? Uh, when your team fair, gets relegated, do you not automatically get disbarred for a season from uh, an appearance on the high performance podcast? Uh, which so. team are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. Uh, to be fair, I think Fabian's picked up a knock there. Uh, that's why he was down for seven minutes. I can hear James Madison being unflinchingly honest in the way that uh, impresses you so much, Owen, for Newcastle next year. Absolutely, for sure. Joel Linton's a good lad, but he has picked up a knock there. He did need a bit of treatment. That sort of thing. Thanks so much, James. Really appreciate, really appreciate the honesty. Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Newcastle won Brentford nil. Okay, uh, Continue I, with your Madison hit job then. Uh, yeah, well, look, all, all I'm saying, Owen, is that, you know, it's as, it's literally... I mean, what's Jamie Vardy? Does, does does Vardy have a tattooed on him? I mean, Jamie Vardy did give the world one deathless phrase, with, which will always be associated with... Well, there was a couple, actually, of, of phrases that will always mm. be associated with him. But the, but the... The one that he said. The more positive one. Chat shit, get banged. All I'm saying is uh, maybe he doesn't even need to go to Prince Harry. Maybe he could just turn to Jamie Vardy. <laughs> And ask him, do you think I should, you know, Rob Tanner's written a piece which sort of annoys me, you know, do you think I should come Ch- back and chat shit back? about that? Or? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, I mean, also the goalkeeper, I mean, I should have mentioned him, really. I mean, this was Schmeichel. Uh, you've seen, you've seen Casper Schmeichel. You know what kind of person he is. Would you describe him as a confident person? Oh, yeah. Would you describe him as someone who speaks his mind on issues yes. as they arise? Yes. Absolutely. Is he the kind of person necessarily James Brendan Rogers wanted to have around? <laughs> well, not enough to offer him a contract on the level uh, of what he was being offered by um, Jim Ratcliffe's boys at okay. Nice. Uh, so they let him go. They were like, oh, see you, Casper. And he was, you know, a really good player for them. Maybe Schmike, maybe he, as a goalkeeper, maybe he was a little possible. He's only 35. I mean, you've seen goalkeepers go on longer than that. Maybe they had to start thinking about replacing him at some point, but instead they just let him go and didn't replace him or just put in Danny Ward and said, yeah, that'll do. I mean, it didn't. It wasn't good enough. You know, uh, and, he, and he left Danny Ward there until March, letting in a lot of goals. So uh, I think it was a real, a real sense of, yeah, we'll be fine, we'll be fine, we'll be fine, right up until the end when they were not fine. I mean, as for Leeds, poor old Leeds, you know, didn't really have a chance. They, 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 they kind of sank in minute one when Harry Kane scored. I mean, Harry Kane has had a pretty, pretty amazing season. Unbelievable. Lucas Moura then scored probably the goal of the season. I didn't think the goal of the season was very good. Uh, the, the, if you saw the actual competition, did, though, yeah, yeah. it was kind of like, yeah. Well, I thought it was, I thought it was Almiron's goal, which didn't even get into the top three. The volley with the instep, I thought was very good. Yeah, the, the one, the one that ended up getting it was in CISO's goal against, mm. against Man, City. Man City, which I'm not even sure was his best goal. Do you think the Chelsea one was better? Potentially, yeah. Two similar type. You like to see something more unusual. That's why I thought the Almiron one might get it. I don't know about the Mora one. I think the defending was a disgrace for (laughs) like honestly, lads. Somebody put in a tackle. Is what I'd be saying there if I was Big Sam. Probably yeah. did say it. I think he probably did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just waltzes through as everyone backs off. And I'm surprised you didn't mention in. the fact that they played the Lightning Seeds, Life O'Reilly, as the, of the, as the goal of the season backing music as part of your opening salvo of, you know, retro oh, yeah, end yeah. of the Premier League season. Yep. Uh, listen on, I wouldn't tell you how to do your job. Well, you just have. Well, 
<laughs> we can all get better. This is a high performance environment, Doug. You should get used to frag feedback. Harry it's going Kane, to be a improve. Harry Kane, 30 goals in a season. Unbelievable. The, the rest of his teammates are falling apart is pretty impressive. I think he would be a good signing for Man United. I know you're not sure about this, his age, yeah, yeah. lack of sell-on value, all those things. I think you might get three or four. Bearing in mind, this is the three or four very good years. And bearing in mind, this was the season where he destroyed his entire life's work by missing the penalty for England yeah. in the middle of it yeah. and then came back and just continued to rack up the goals Listen, uh, the, the Kane uh, regency uh, before uh, Evan Ferguson assumes the crown mm. oh, yeah. I think that that's uh, that, uh, that's that's the sort of prog- uh, uh, you know succession plan that yeah. many other fans can really get on board we'll with We'll get Kane and then we'll get Big Ev in Yeah, yeah. Now he, he has had a phenomenal season and he's just kept going you know, when you might have expected him to be uh, flagging a little bit, because he obviously has played a lot. Um, he scored 14 goals in the last 14 games. Uh, he scored in 12 of those games. In fact, I saw that he had, equal, was it equal or broken Andy Cole's record from, uh, I think, 93-94 of scoring in 26 different matches. Um, this was the most anyone had managed to see. Mm-hmm. Andy Cole, I think, was that was in a 42-game season. Um so it is phenomenal. Um, he, uh, it, it also, though, that, that run might have been his worst run as a Tottenham player. <laughs> like, just in terms of what was happening in Tottenham. Uh, the Six wins, five defeats, three draws, fell out of contention for everything they were playing for. Manager got sacked. Um, you know, I mean, it, it went... It was terrible, and he's like playing as well as he's ever played. So I don't know what to do, or, or what you what he would feel like doing at this point. I mean, I suppose if Manchester United want to sign him this summer, then that's an obvious thing for him to mm-hmm. to go for at this point, right? And it's an obvious thing for Tottenham. I mean, you could see, for instance, David Ornstein saying, "Daniel Levy reluctant to sell Hurricane, even at a hundred million, as he knows how difficult it would be to replace him. And even though he can go for free next summer, he'll need more." And you're like. <laughs> Hundred million is is a great is a great price. I know, but I can see where that logic comes from. We know what Levy's like. It's almost a, a personal affront to him to sell a player for what he believes to be below the maximum amount of money they can get for him. Yeah, but it's like, made it hard for Kane in the past. He might make it hard again, which will then leave him in a position where you've got an entire season of Kane just winding down his contract while still scoring thirty goals. <laughs> an mm. unmotivated Harry Kane still scoring twenty eight to thirty goals, probably. Next yeah, year. I mean, from from Man United's point of view, I don't think it's ideal because of the composition of the team already having quite a few players who are you know thirty in and around. Um, but Kane could be like Lewandowski, you know. I mean, would it have been worth signing a thirty-year-old Robert Lewandowski? Absolutely. I mean, no, no question. He's he scored. Yeah. He's worth another two hundred and fifty, three hundred, maybe more than that. I'm not sure exactly the numbers, but he was scoring fifty. That's when he's hit the fifty-goal a season phase of his career. It's a good phase, even yeah. as a guy is thirty-one and thirty. It's still good, you know. The other thing about Lewandowski though is that he very seldom got injured, whereas Harry Kane has had a few injuries. So maybe it's a bit more risky. But when you look at like, you know, what they've had this season. Vaghorst again can't even score the very end when everyone is yeah. going go on just stick it in and he misses that was just amazing what was the Vout stat that you <laughs> Rich Jolly <laughs> Rich Jolly's Vout stat goals by Vouts in the Premier League Liverpool 2 Vout fast 2 own goals <laughs> Leicester 1 Vout fast he scored of course <laughs> the other day Manchester United no, <laughs> no, no goals no any Vouts whatsoever Premier League goals because yeah. Vout did score in, in the League Cup right he scored a little was it a, a rebound? Maybe it was Europa. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but like, okay, he's Harry Kane would be a considerable 
improvement on Vaudfeighorst. Uh, maybe he would be stepping on Bruno Fernandez's toes a little bit in terms of he likes to play in the same type of areas. But you know, I'm sure they could probably figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, this um, the season isn't over yet for Manchester United. Uh, we saw Eric Ten Hag remind everyone of that in his uh, flamboyant speech on the Old Trafford pitch. Uh, I think David De Gea, uh, Golden Glove, he for most clean sheets in the Premier League. He he received what a that, season he had. He received that award, and Eric Ten Hag took the mic and said, among other things, this stuff. Oh, I want to thank you for the season, for the contribution, for the backing us, for our for the support. And it was great, and so thank you. But when I see, say these words, there's still one game to go, so... of his hand oh amazing stuff uh, this speech prompted this um, uh, article from Stephen Railson at the Manchester Evening News Eric Ten Hag did what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer could not with rousing speech to Manchester United fans uh, is the headline you can probably hear Manchester United fans roaring to Eric Ten Hag's speech at Old Trafford from Dean's Gate at the weekend the rousing passionate address of supporters two supporters sent reverberations around the sun-kissed stadium and it was evidence of the special connection between the fans and club that has been gradually rebuilt on the back of it being shattered. First of all, I want to say thank you to players, blah, 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 blah. Um, so, great stirring speech, sun-kissed stadium, everyone happy, we're going to go, we're going to get Man City. Uh, the speech at Old Trafford was stirring and it gave a glimpse into what the future might look like with Ten Hag and George. The club last won the Premier League in 2012-13. Supporters are now hoping to see a credible title challenge. The 53-year-old, composed with the microphone, struck every right note with his speech. What did you think of his speech, Murph? You, you must have been fairly... Uh, you, Thanks for just giving me, a, giving me a minute there to, re- <laughs> to recover my composure. It got you going, didn't it? It did. Of course it did. Ah, I mean, We're going to do them, lads. We'll do, <laughs> we'll do, we'll do them, them for you today. That was basically Big Bird. <laughs> I, was li- I was literally going to say that. It's like, that is what it was. We'll do them for you next week. <laughs> and everyone was like, I don't think so, but cheers, Eric. Go get him. Sir Alex Ferguson would give speeches at the end of most seasons. Ryan Giggs delivered a great speech as interim coach. Leo Van Hal did it twice and was succinct. While Jose Mourinho never did any during his two and a half year tenure. Oligner Solskjaer picked up the baton that Mourinho didn't want, but he was restricted, restricted to just one address as the 2018-19 season ended with a home defeat against Cardiff and 2019-20 finished behind closed doors due to the pandemic. So he didn't do one in 2019 because they'd lost to Cardiff, is that? Sounds mm. like it. Okay. Um, Solskjaer finally got the chance to thank fans for their continued support on the final day of the 2021 campaign when just 10,000 were allowed back into Old Trafford to watch a draw against Fulham which preceded the Europa League final. Uh, talks about Solskjaer's speech. Solskjaer, then says, Solskjaer's tone of voice during his speech was not as authoritative as his successors. 
and the Europa League final was subsequently lost on penalties. <laughs> Correlation does not equal causation, my man. The wider point is that Solskjaer was not the manager to lead the club to silverware, and supporters inside Old Trafford reacted to his speech almost as if they suspected that. It wasn't as confident as the speech made on Sunday. When Ten Hag pointed the crosshairs at Manchester City in his speech. Pointed. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go down there. We're going to fulfill that fixture. <laughs> We're going to play the hell out of all 90 of those minutes. <laughs> Plus extra time, but honestly, we're not we're not all that awful. We're gonna get there, but nevertheless, we're gonna be there. Ten Hag pointed the crosshairs at Manchester City in his speech. Those in attendance believed and hung off his every word. He is the most universally liked manager of the club since Ferguson, and that status has been earned this season. So uh, mentions Ten Hag has spent north of two hundred million, but the extent of the messy inheritance should not be forgotten. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 when I heard about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's lack of confidence, which cost him ultimately the Europa League final, I thought, really, I mean, let's, shall we, shall we listen oh, to yeah, Ole? I mean, the, 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 other, the other thing you might want to keep in mind, there's only 10,000 people there and it's a socially distanced crowd, right? Yeah. It's not even 10,000 people in one block. It's just spread, dispersed all around Old Trafford. Tough crowd. As Ole Gunnar Solskjaer comes out and takes the mic. Ladies and gentlemen, it's fantastic to have you back in. It's, it's so great to have you back in, supporting the team. We know it's been a long, long year for everyone, but I'm so grateful to see you back here supporting everyone. It's, it's, great been, it's been great working with these boys. They're a great group of uh, lads, players, the staff. I know we're not where we are, we want to be in the league, but hopefully we can bring a trophy back in about 10, 10 days' time. So we'll do whatever we can. And hopefully next year we can see everyone everyone on the seats again. So all the best support the team and a safe trip back home. Thanks. What do you think, Murph? Did you feel the, the um, energy draining out of you? No. No, I mean, it's, it's not Roman you feel, Roy. You but feel I mean, emasculated? It's, yeah, it's... <laughs> It's, no, it's. Uh, I would say slightly worse than Eric Ten Hag. Con- Content-wise, is it even that different? No, it's it's, it's a it's delivery and b context. Yeah, it's the fans being it's there. The cra- it's the fans. The, the crowd makes the difference. Up, like course. the thing that makes Ten Hag's speech good is the is the way the crowd is like. Let's face it, Ken. Good is a stretch. Well, I mean, but funny at least, you know. Yeah, we're gonna do the lads. Whereas you know, for all Ollie in that situation, you know, I mean, you got to feed off the crowd in a situation. In you know, when it comes to public speaking, a lot of it is. You know, you send out, what do you get back? Yeah. You know, and does that propel you into the next sentence? I think he made one mistake, though, Solskjaer. Mm-hmm. He used the word hopefully twice. Yeah. You don't want to use that word. Never, ever say hopefully mm. if you're a football manager. David Moyes likes to do it. And I, yeah. I always want to take him aside and say, stop saying that word. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's just not a good word to use, so hopefully. You know, you have to be... Uh, you have to say we're going to go down and do them. You know, more definitively. You say hopefully we'll do. Yes. Yeah. Hopefully you're right. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. drama on the final day of the Bundesliga season for the Athletics Raphael Honigstein to get into great to chat to you Rafi hello on a scale of 1 to 10 how surprised were you that Dortmund found a way to throw this thing away 9 and a half really I really didn't think that they would uh, do that uh, Mainz had come there on the back of four defeats nothing to play for Dortmund really strong at home this season in great form scoring lots of goals but there was something in the way that things developed both in Cologne where Bayern were playing and Dortmund, which in combination created a very sort of negative flow and mm. pressure, which ultimately saw them buckle. Um, and uh, as you said, they did, they did kind of throw it away. I mean, the how of it is, is difficult to explain, but I mean, what about the why? Why did Mainz do this? Uh, <laughs> well, Mainz behaved uh, as you'd as you'd want any team to behave who got nothing to play for. They they played good football. The same the same was true to of Köln, of course. I mean, Köln very nearly got a draw against Bayern. And uh, as a Bayern supporter, you could have asked them, you know, well, why why are they doing this to us? So no, I think they it had very little to do with what what they did and everything with with Dortmund somehow not being able to deal with the pressures of the situation, especially after Bayern took a lead after only eight minutes. It then, I think, brought the magnitude of the challenge home. They did gone into the game thinking, okay, yes, if we win, it's going to be fine. We might not even have to win. A draw might be enough um, if Bayern don't win. It felt as if Dortmund only really became aware sort of of the, of the magnitude once things went against them, 
suddenly being under pressure to score two goals when Bayern scored, uh, being under pressure to score two goals once uh, Bayern scored, then being 1-0 down, then being 2-0 down in before that missing a penalty. So everything sort of conspired against them in the first 25, 30 minutes. And while they recovered and actually played pretty well in the second half and, of course, got an equaliser very late on, it's that first half where they really messed things up. But just to put it in perspective very briefly, I think as much as they are hurting and this is seen as a historic chance missed, and rightly so, there is now, I think, in the cold light of day, also realisation that um, 73 points shouldn't really be enough to win the Bundesliga in the first place. And irrespective of what Bayern did or didn't do, it's their very poor first half of the season where they only picked up 25 points from the first 15 games that ultimately saw them fail. If you want to win the Bundesliga, even against a poor Bayern team, you have to reach somewhere in the in the 80s. You can't really expect to win with 73 points. Yeah, I'm interested how you feel what was going on in the Bayern game impacted so much on the Borussia Dortmund players, which I guess is natural. I mean, it is probably what's going to happen, but surely they're starting the day thinking, we only have to win our game and we've got to assume Bayern will win because even though it's been a patchy season, they're probably going to find a way to dig it out. Yeah, but um, as, a, as a coach said to me the other day, um, the problem with, with the, the little magnets you push around on the tactics boards, they don't sweat. Mm-hmm. So I think the point is that, yes, you can prepare yourself for that pressure. You can tell yourself that story that, you know, Bayern will probably win once you're on the pitch, once things don't quite go for you, and then you miss a penalty for the equaliser, which really was maybe the final point that got them on sort of on the wrong journey if you will it was still only after like 15 minutes or something though right? yeah, yeah. so much yeah, time still to still to turn the game around i know but they i don't like i don't like this phraseology and i think it's very often used in a very lazy manner but in this specific case they really did choke in the first half they froze they became very hectic they didn't play their football they didn't do all the things they did well minds it has to be said really played one of the best away games of the season made it very difficult for them. They sat really deep. All the things that Dortmund have done so well in recent weeks, which is to generate depth through the flanks with Adeyemi and Marlin combining with Alea leading the line. That Those threats were nullified with Mainz sitting with two rows of four almost inside their own box. And Dortmund ended up putting a lot of crosses, a lot of them poor crosses, and only in the second half when Tuchel made, sorry, I said Tuchel, um, when Terzic. Edin Terzic made some, made some substitutions that they regained some kind of semblance of control, but by then it was kind of lost. Uh, one thing that, that struck me about, I mean, obviously the, the, the end of it was just this kind of stunning scene, you know, I, it felt like nobody kind of knew what to say about that or how to, how to sort of process what they'd just seen. But what was notable was the, apparently complete absence of any rancor from the atmosphere, which was a huge contrast. But say, for instance, if you looked at um, Leeds yesterday, uh, Leeds got relegated. They knew they were getting relegated all day. They got, they scored, they or they conceded a goal in the first minute. You know, everyone, everyone sort of knew. And yet, at the full-time whistle, 
uh, there was this huge anger from the crowd. They're screaming, you know, you're not fit to wear this shirt. Some of them are fighting the police and so on. And, at, and at, meanwhile, at Dortmund, who have missed a chance, like such a chance. And it's 11 years in a row of this now. They, they did come second rather than second last. 11 in years in a row. And they had, it all, they had it in their hands and they threw it away. And this crowd is just warmly applauding that. I was more than warmly applauding. They were they were singing the club anthem in front of Ed and Terzic, who was uh, tearing up. I think they have very sensitive sort of antennas in Dortmund, and they understand a couple of things. First of all, this team isn't probably not quite good enough to win the title, and it would have been a huge surprise and probably a, a freak event if they'd won it. So not winning it cannot really be held against them the way that maybe it would have been different in the in the mid nineties uh, or in the uh, early two thousands when they had sort of superstar players uh, and really went into every season thinking they can win the title as Bayern's equals. We're not at that point, but also I think they could understand how much it hurt the players, how they were distraught, how Terzic, a former Dortmund ultra from the yellow wall turned head coach was suffering not for himself but for not being able to deliver for the club for the fans and somebody who feels so bad who feels bad about letting everyone down you don't i think then turn towards anger and hate i think it's more when there's an accusation or suspicion that somebody quite hasn't understood the magnitude of their lack of success or what it means to others when you get angry. Here you could see so clearly that they all understood what it meant for everyone and that they felt so sorry and so awful about it. So the last I would have expected from this Dortmund um, faithful is to turn on their own. Uh, what about Bayern? Uh, <laughs> they, they they won the 11th title in a row. Maybe this one is a little bit by default, not the greatest title Almost immediately after, um, uh, there's the news that they've sacked Oliver Kahn, the CEO, and Hassan Salihamidzic, the sporting director. Now, this the, the decision had been taken the previous day. They, you know, they'd been they'd been effectively sacked on Friday. Kahn obviously wasn't at the game. Um, get, let's get into what that decision was about. But first of all, do you think they jumped the gun a little bit? Uh, like, I mean, did they sack them in the expectation that that um, the season was going to end in failure, as opposed to the kind of, I suppose, official success that it, that it, that it actually is? Not really, because it wasn't seen as a success. It was just seen as the bare minimum that's acceptable. And sacking them later might have made it more awkward when you sack them once they've won the title, but. With Khan, things go much deeper than that. It wasn't so much what Bayern did as a team, more to do with how he led the club, how he rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, how Uli Hoeneß, the patron in the background, felt that this was no longer his Bayern, uh, run like a family, uh, with all the dysfunction that that entails, uh, admittedly, but run two in a two-corporate winner. And this was really just an excuse to pull the trigger on somebody who has been on shaky ground now for the best part of one and a half years. Salihamidzic was different. I think this has more to do with the power politics behind the scenes, that he was uh, the pawn that needed to be sacrificed for other changes to be made. Christian Dresen, the new CEO, doesn't really like Salihamidzic too much. Karl-Heinz who's coming back into the supervisory board, 
doesn't really like Serhii Hamicic too much. So this has to be seen as Uli Hoeneß um, with Rummenigge, but mostly Hoeneß taking back control. And in order to do that, he needed the support of one or two people who I think named Serhii Hamicic as their prize. So less to do with what happened on the pitch and more to do with internal power wranglings. But ultimately, a yet another example how Bayern messed things up. You might support the decision on a rational basis just as much as the decision to fire Julian Nagelsmann might have been the right decision at the time. But the way it was communicated, the way it broke, uh, left Bayern looking fairly amateurish, if not slightly classless. And that's left, I think, a, a bad taste in the mouth of many supporters. Yeah, although, I mean, it's not a million miles off Uli Hoeneß um, getting rid of Jupp Heynckes uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and the circumstances of that, I don't think, were that nice. But I suppose it's different when someone else does it. You can see how unpleasant these things are. But what what is it that... that... Yeah, but, but hold on a second. I mean, uh, Jupp Heynckes was out of contract and Bayern went for Guardiola and did a deal six months in advance and told Heynckes, look, the next guy's coming in. Yeah. I don't think that compares with... Getting rid of they... guys a minute a minute after after winning the title. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, he did. He he delivered the treble. I suppose it was a happy ending for um, for Yapankas at least. But um, there, the, what is it? You said that Ovakan had been on thin ice for you know one and a half years. What was he? Can you give us a flavour of what he what his time as CEO? He's, he's been in the job I think since twenty twenty. He replaced Karl Heinz uh, um, but what uh, is how can you characterize that uh, spell that he uh, led the club? I mean, is there anything in particular that he did that he will be kind of remembered for, or was there anything that he did that was different from what had been done before? Uh, and what was it that he did that that ultimately um, his colleagues decided wasn't good enough? I mean, uh, leaving aside the obvious, the obvious um, sort of. Flashpoint, let's say the recent flashpoint of the, of the Nagelsmann thing and all that. Had, had, you know what had been. Uh, it had nothing to do with Nagelsmann. Nagelsmann's dismissal was supported by everyone, uh, including Oli Hoeneß and all these people. So it had nothing to do with that at all. Um, this is more with his way of leading the club. I give you one example. When he came in, he um, installed this task force called Bayern, FC Bayern ahead, ahead in capital letters. Um, very sort of um, McKinsey corporate, uh, getting in lots of people with kind of business backgrounds to uh, look at all aspects of the club and see how they can be perfected. And you might say that is a sensible thing to do for a new CEO. The problem is you have to do it in a sensitive way and most importantly, perhaps not give people the impression that everything they have done for the last 30 years or so is wrong and now needs to be changed for the better of the club. He did a, a question, question and answer session with the whole club where they're supposed to come out with stuff that they didn't like or felt that had gone wrong. But Kallens Rummenigge, the chief executive, was actually still there sitting next to him. So you can imagine how the people felt, you know, should I say, yeah, actually Rummenigge has been re- really wrong for 10 years. Finally, finally, I can speak up. But he's still sitting there. Yeah. So just a very, very... Um, not so clever moves, I would say. And also, I think as a former goalkeeper, perhaps not really that much of a team player. If he'd been, I think, more cooperative, 
more willing to listen closer to the team, closer to the people behind him, like like uh, Uli Hoeneß, then we might have seen a different outcome. But he very clearly wanted to do things his way without really involving these guys around him. And ultimately, I think that understandable move to emancipate himself from the previous regime was done in a very clumsy, um, sort of headstrong manner and made that his power base eroded very quickly. Uh, what would this uh, McKinsey Business Analytics Consulting um, uh, have had to say about the idea that Byron was actually still being run by a wealthy granddad in a villa overlooking a beautiful lake uh, in the mountains uh, to the south of the city, who apparently doesn't really have uh, an official role, but uh, according to your piece today, is in fact still running the club. Yeah, he is in a supervisory board um, and he is running the club um, to a large extent. We see this now that he's still running the club because basically this is this is the old regime taking back the power. But I, I need to reiterate, if if Khan had involved Hoeneß more, then I think Hoeneß wouldn't have been able to make that dramatic a move. It was because Khan basically shunted Hoeneß aside and did a lot of things by, him, by himself that the advisory supervisory board was actually able to say, you know what, this is not the way that we think FC Bayern should be run. And there were mistakes being made um, when it comes to the way you deal with people. And ultimately, I think while they were right to disregard Hoeneß in, in one or two aspects, for example, he wanted Lewandowski to stay, even if it meant him losing for free the next season. They ignored his advice, but it did it in a very sort of public, uh, in a very um, ostent ostentatious way. And I think that wasn't very smart. You can say, well, we have to run the show now and we think differently, but to basically just try to ignore him and say, let this old, ga old guy speak, you know, we don't care anymore. That was that was the crucial mistake, and now that uh, there was a sense that the club is also in a sporting way, not really going in the right direction, that's when it was easy in a way to put the knife in because before that, um, these are things that are sort of esoteric and nobody really talks about it outside a small group of people. Um, but now that the public opinion moved against uh, Khan and Salihamidzic. That's when the supervisory board thought, okay, fine. Uh, we never quite believed in him anyway. Let's just do it now. I see Dietmar Hamann reportedly said on German TV, when you treat people like this, you have to ask yourself, do you want to work for this club? I don't think he can rule out Tuchel leaving soon too, but he'll leave of his own accord. Do you think that's likely to happen with Thomas Tuchel? Uh, not at all. I think Didi Hamann got a lot of things right on, on Saturday, but he completely misread the mood of what Tuchel said. Tuchel was going out of his way to say that he was now uh, not even going on holiday because he wanted to take responsibility and felt that a lot of things needed to to be done at the moment. And he is the last man standing uh, as far as sort of sporting leadership is concerned because the new CEO is a former finance director. So he's not from, he's not a former player. He's not a, a sports personality. There's no sporting director at the moment and it is a key transfer window. So Tuchel will, at least in the short run, actually have a lot more power than recent managers. 
and he might not relish the power that much. No, it sounds, it sounds a bit like to... last. It sounds a bit like last summer at Chelsea yeah. when, when he was being told. Yeah, to... I think that was different though because last year at Chelsea was he had to have, um, from what I was told, three meetings a day with three different owners, uh, and each one wanted to discuss their own three or four targets with him. So he just basically became completely exhausted um, and just didn't want to know anymore. Uh, this will be much more, I think, <laughs> targeted. And, uh, and, a, and a much shorter and uh, more precise process, if you will. But I think he will be able to shape the team. He will say, I want this guy, I want that guy, I want these people out. And they will listen more so than they would have done in in different situations. Also, yes, you can say his results weren't that impressive, but he did, won, did win the title and he won it by doing something quite ruthless and quite brutal and but quite smart, ultimately, as it worked out. He first substituted Thomas Muller, which is always a very political situation if it backfires, but it worked. But more importantly, he brought on Leon Goretzka, German international, took him off again after 30 minutes to bring on Jamal Muziala, who scores the winner. So again, you know, Julian Nagelsmann, I'm not sure he would have had the balls to do that. Tuchel didn't care. He was rewarded for that. And I think that also strengthens his position. He's going to be the key the key figure for Bayern this summer. So absolutely no no chance he will leave. The Well, to, who do you think is going to leave then? Because uh, obviously Bayern have got an, uh, an absolute diamond in uh, Musiala who uh, scored the crucial goal and maybe he is going to be the star of the team, you know, the, the next huge star of, the, of that team. But um, they thought Sadio Mane was going to be a star. It hasn't worked out that way. He was an unused substitute. Uh, you know, they made five and none of them was Sadio. Um, can, can you explain why this has failed so badly? And do you see any way back for him uh, at this point? I mean, this is a guy who, who, who was brilliant consistently in the Premier League and Champions League for, you know, all the years. This is why Byron signed him. And it, it just hasn't happened for him. Do you think uh, they're definitely going to be getting rid of him or um, is there still hope? Well, as we've seen with Erling Haaland and his goals uh, for, for City as compared, compared to his Dortmund output, the Bundesliga is a higher standard and it is harder for attacking players to succeed there. <laughs> as Sadio Mane has learned as well. No, but joking aside, um, he's been a huge disappointment. And, sorry, um, he's been a huge disappointment and he'd be first on the list of players that, that Bayern want to move on because his impact has been the opposite of what Bayern had hoped for. They thought his consistency, his mentality is going to raise everybody's game and make the Gnabrys and Manes, sorry, the Gnabrys and Sanes and Muzialas try even harder. But actually, he sort of almost dragged them down. And there's been a lot of surprise about his attitude and training, which hasn't been very good, and his general sort of lack of um, effort, effort and intensity. And if we want to know one thing from Thomas Tuchel, especially going back to his time at Chelsea, if he feels somebody is a bad trainer and doesn't have the right body language and doesn't lead by example, these players very rarely ever come back. So if Bayern find a taker for money, I'd expect him to be the very first name out of the door. Can I just ask one last uh, one, Rafi, on the, just the makeup of the German teams actually going to the Champions League? Obviously, it's Bayern, it's Dortmund, it's Leipzig, I guess. And there is uh, one pretty uh, surprising name in there is Union Berlin. Um, I mean, can you 
put in perspective what that what what it means for this club who only got promoted a couple of seasons ago um, to have made it into this competition. This is a club that was basically bankrupt a couple of times in the in the nineties and early two thousands, who survived through the help of their own fans who rebuilt the stadium, who collected money by donating blood, all these stories that you're familiar with. But then to win promotion to the Bundesliga for the first time, stay up, then qualify for the Conference League in the next season, then qualify for the uh, Europa League in the third season, and now qualify for the Champions League in their fourth season. That is a kind of sustained success with relatively little money. That is just unbelievable. And in a way, it's a German fairy tale as well, because they didn't grow by virtue of having a rich uncle from America or Abu Dhabi coming in and saying, I always wanted to build Union Berlin into a lovely sports washing machine. No, they've done it all because they've just been a little bit smarter, a little bit harder working, having a tremendous support, fantastic atmosphere fantastic coach and here they are in the Champions League it's it's really an incredible story and you can't praise Urs Fischer the manager and all the players and, and the board highly enough for what they've achieved Brilliant Raphael Hallerstein always good to talk thank you Thanks I'm having a buzz flounder now and anyone wants to not give me a shout I don't like the name him because you know I, I actually think he's a very good writer mm. but it, it was that this was a dig at football people who know the game, using statistics uh, to try and undermine people who have eyes, ears, and common sense. What I'm saying is that sometimes the eyes and ears mislead you. The ears, particularly if it's Paul Merson talking to them, might mislead you. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You know the balls in the stones. Have a proper debate. Love to debate him. You could. Sell tickets for that. All I, have to back it up All I have to back it up is the factual record of what, of what took place. Bring it on. This was a dig at football people who know the game. He's the one who's on the attack, don't forget. Mm. And has been for some time without naming people. He, he mentioned pundits. Mm. Well, who are the football pundits? <laughs> I think they call that on a verbal broadside. You've been on the attack, Ken, but you don't have... You just don't have what it takes to name names. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. <laughs> <laughs> don't have the balls. Yeah, I don't want to put them down. But they seem to want to prove that you don't need to know anything about football to write about it. This was a dig at football people who know the game. You don't have the balls, Ken. You don't have the stones. No mention of Liverpool's four-all draw on the final day of the season, Ken. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, has it given you any further pause? I, I can't watch every... Run? Well, first of all, I didn't watch the game because it was it was not on, was it? I mean, it wasn't even... Wasn't on, it, wasn't it wasn't one of the televised Nothing games, was obviously. happening. I saw the, the goals and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, Southampton scored a couple of nice goals. Liverpool scored a couple of nice goals. Nobody really cared. Uh, Real end of season fair. Yeah. You were too busy watching Brentford try to qualify for Europe on Premier Sports. Uh, did, Brentford, did, did Brentford the, against City. Did the league double over Manchester City? Yeah, we'll try and beat them next year, said uh, Guardiola. Hopefully. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> we'll hopefully try and beat Brentford next season. Okay, well, that's all for next season. That's it for this Premier League season. Thanks, Murph. Oh, and there's so much more football still to be played. Well, I, know that. I mean, it feels like, oh, it's, it's wrong to even try and put it 
you know, a final, uh, a full stop. FA Cup, Champions League, the World Cup in the summer. It just never ends. Hopefully, do a few teams over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll do them for you today, this summer. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Owen, and thank you very much, Ken. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Kieran. Thanks for listening. The Second Captain's Podcast is part of the ACAST. The ACAST Creator. Sorry, I don't want to talk over you. The ACAST Creator Network. Sign up on secondcaptains.com to become a member to hear all the episodes with no ads. Thanks for listening. Which phone is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. It's the opposite of that. It's to persuade the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. 